Hey, welcome to Belltown Church's podcast. My name is Joey and I'm one of the lead pastors here. I'm so grateful that you are tuning in. If there's any way that we could serve you in these challenging and uncertain times, email us at help at belltownchurch.com. I hope that this teaching inspires you, that it challenges you, that it ultimately reveals Jesus and his love for you. Now let's get to the teaching. Hi everyone, welcome to Belltown Church Online. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm Hannah, I'm going to be preaching today, and I'm just so grateful that you are here and that you get to be a part of our church today. We've been going through a series called Jesus Politics. We wanted to invite you guys to ask questions. So um, if you have a question that you would want us to answer, if we, we're gonna sit down and maybe do a Q&A. So go ahead, give us your questions about politics, about Jesus, and those things together. So today I'm gonna be speaking about Jesus and the law of mercy. Jesus and the law of mercy. Whenever Jesus was approached about the law, this was a political moment. Um, It was a religious moment. It was a spiritual moment, but it was also a political moment because um, spirituality and politics were highly intertwined in the Bible. And at that time, and even still today, but totally and completely intertwined in the time of Jesus. So Jesus was engaged in politics every day. Every time he talked about God, that was politics. I mean, he had, a, he had an opinion about the law and about certain policies and about how people should be treated. And so in that way, I believe Jesus truly had a lot to say about politics. I'm going to look at two passages where Jesus engages in a political moment, but also a spiritual moment. Um, He was approached about the law a lot. And I'm going to dig into a couple of these times. The first one I want to look at is John 8. John 8. John 8 is a passage about the woman caught in adultery. John 8, 1 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. 
Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. This has got to be one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. Um, the way that Jesus addresses that situation. So back up for a minute. Here's the thing. I can be very randomly rigid because I'm very literal. Like I'm the one who's like, let's not break the rules, guys. You know, like that's, that's kind of me because I'm afraid of ruffling feathers um, in that way. And so like I'm the one who's in the car and if the stoplight is red and it's broken, I sit there for like 10 minutes before I'm like, I should probably go. Because I'm like waiting and I'm like, well, you can't go on red, you know. <laughs> so I'm like so literal that I just sit there. Um, but after being married to my husband for some time and getting to know the other side of humanity and the people who like to bend the rules and the people who like to... Um, have fun with the rules. I understand now social cues of like when it's okay to kind of be rowdy and kind of disrupt things. I used to think my husband was like, man, he's just crazy. But like now I'm like, you know, he's kind of right. Like that doesn't matter that much. This matters more, you know? And it's like understanding social cues of when that's appropriate and when that's not. But here's something that I've learned just over the course of my life and just observing is that most rules and laws and regulations, they're, they're put in place when a person of authority cannot be present or when there is communication from that authority that is lacking. So they have to, they have to enforce a rule. Rules and laws, they help maintain order and control when the authority is absent. So if you think about it, in the Old Testament times, the communication between God and man was a bit disconnected. There was an absence, like a gap. There was a gap between God and mankind. Um, there was a lack of a, a medium, in a sense. And, and I don't mean to sound mystical to use that word, but that is kind of what it was. There was no pure medium between us and God that was accessible to everyone. Jesus is that. Jesus is our advocate, the Bible says. And in a sec to use a secular word, Jesus is our medium. Jesus is our source. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Because through him and in him is our entire way, our entire truth, and our entire life. One time I got in trouble. Um, <laughs> I got in trouble at, um, in college 
when I had cheated and um, I got called, uh, I got an email from the teacher. This is when Joey and I were married. So we were living together and working together in the same class. And I got an email from the teacher that said, um, hey, so your and your husband's work was exactly the same and that's not okay. And um, truth was we did tag team that assignment. Um, honestly, it was one of those, you search the book, you find the right answer, like it's literally written right there, and you copy it down. It wasn't your own words. It wasn't like, write this in your words or answer this question from memory. It was find it in the book, write it down, repeat, 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 repeat for pages and pages and pages. And so in my mind, I was like, well, we're both going to get the same answer because it's a literal answer, right? It's not like a what do you think the answer is? So since it's a literal answer, straight out of the book, the words of the author and not mine, then I assumed, you know, well, he could do some and I could do some and we'll just swap work. Like, there wasn't a rule that, like, you couldn't work together with other people. You were allowed to work together. You just had to have your own work. All that to say, we pretty much so he found all the answers and then I copied them onto the computer and then I copied and pasted us both an assignment. So we worked together, it was like a team effort, but it was technically cheating, um, I guess. We got in trouble and I was horrified. Um, I was like up all night, I was like stressed and praying and just like so upset because I just was like I don't want to be in trouble I really don't want to be in trouble um was I cheating maybe I just I didn't think it was a big deal and I just I really didn't want to be in trouble so the next day we go into class and she pulls me out because I was the one like communicating with her because I told her well it was mostly my fault I told her I was like my husband did like all the work. I just copied it. So really it was like me that was the one who kind of was the cheater. Um, and so I wanted to take the blame because like that's not, it wasn't fair in my mind because he didn't even, he did so much work, like so much. Um, so she talked to me. She said, you know, I... If it was up to me, and it is up to her, because she's the teacher, but she was like, if it's up to me, like, I would give you an F, but I prayed about it, and I really felt like the Lord told me to give you an 80, so that's what I'm going to give you, and I was like, can I tell you my jaw hit the floor, like, I was like, and honestly, part of me also not surprised because part of me was like, yeah, yeah, I deserve an 80. Like I was like, I did so much work. And um, I mean, in a way I don't deserve it because it was like technically cheating. But in a way I was like, no, like I did the work. I really did. I just copied and pasted like, but I did 
have to write all the information in and all this stuff. So in my mind, I was like justified. But when she said Jesus said to give me an 80, I was like, he's got my back. Like he knows me. He sees me. It was just like the most beautiful moment to me where I felt like loved and cared for by my heavenly father. My teacher could have gone with rigidity. She could have gone by the rules. But instead, she chose to access this intimacy with the one authority that really matters. She didn't have to do this. Do you understand? Like, it would be simple if she just didn't. To just go by the book. Like, you cheat, you fail. Boom, we're done. Like, go home. She could have easily just put an F and then said, like, just redo this. Or, like, you can't redo it because da-da-da. Like, she could have said anything. But she chose to take the time to pray and say, Jesus, what do you say? She asked Jesus, the law says this. What do you say? What do you say? And Jesus said, mercy. Jesus said, mercy. Rules are put into place when there is presence lacking. Rules are put into place when communication is lacking. One thing I appreciated about my childhood, even though my parents were not perfect at all, um, but I appreciated how organic they were. Um, We didn't really do family or like home rules we didn't do like rigid structure um I was homeschooled and I woke up past nine every day pretty much whenever I got up and my mom would kind of be like time to get up but it wasn't like hey it's 8 30 like this is when school starts like it wasn't like that um I never had a timeline. I never had set chores every day. I never had a bedtime that was very like rigid. Um, There was a lot of freedom. However, even in that though, there were these unspoken expectations. Okay, so there was freedom, but there was these unspoken expectations. And I understood most of them. Like, Oh, don't smoke, don't drink, like don't have sex. That kind of thing was never, ever spoken to me. Never. My parents never said, don't smoke, don't do drugs, don't have sex. They never said that to me. But it was just an unspoken expectation. It was like I kind of just knew that they wouldn't want that. Like I know them. I know how they are. And I know that that probably wouldn't be something they would like. So there was this expectation that I understood. But there was one massive flaw in that. Freedom must be accompanied by presence and communication. It has to be. But my parents' communication was barely there. And their presence was somewhat there. But the expectations were there. And that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. When faced with the things that you come up against in your life when you're a teenager and when you're an adult, 
you know what you should do. You know the expectation on you. And you are aware of what is acceptable most of the time. But it's not enough. In those moments, the knowledge of that is not enough. Without communication and presence, expectation means nothing. The only thing that you're left with is guilt. Expectation gets you nowhere. I'm going to look at another passage. And this is all just kind of like I'm grabbing from angles to kind of round out a picture of what I'm presenting to you. So I know I'm all over the place, but just bear with me. Matthew 12 is what I'm going to read from next. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And having you read the law of Moses, that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath. I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes because then they could bring that as a charge against him. See, this is legal action they want to take against him because he's breaking the law. And he answered, if you had a sheep, that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person? And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to them, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. And then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. He healed the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. Now I was going to stop like after those two stories, but this prophecy from Isaiah is everything. So I have to read it to you. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. 
and his name will be the hope of all of the world. What if all along mercy, mercy as we know it, was justice? Because because here's the thing, we always think that they're at odds, that there's justice and then there's mercy. But what if they aren't at odds? The verse has finally, finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And this has to be, this has to be the cross. This has to be referencing redemption. Because it says, finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. Our redemption has always been portrayed to us as this afterthought that, that, that we really deserve destruction in God's eyes. But that redemption is this miraculous freebie. And although I believe, I believe that we are headed to destruction without Jesus. But I don't believe that God ever intended that and that I, I don't believe that God ever saw that as true justice. See, that's the problem. People say, well, that is the justice of God. No, I don't think God ever saw that as justice. That's the problem. That's why he had to, he, that's why he sent Jesus because justice has to be victorious. God must have known that our destruction was not true justice. See, God must have known that Jesus would bring justice. Jesus brought grace and mercy, and that is the justice of God. And it makes sense because it is victory over sin and victory over the grave that is our justice. The destruction of death, not the destruction of us. The destruction of death and Satan. That is just. Justice is victorious in the cross. Justice is victorious in mercy. Justice is victorious in mercy. So many people let religion get in the way of grace and mercy. That's what the Pharisees did. They let rules get in the way of people. They let rigidity get in the way of life. But people are so deeply important. Jesus knew that. That's why Jesus always took what was law and said, but people, but people. That's what Jesus always did. The law says, and he'd say, but people. People are so deeply important. I've always been a weird person <laughs> since I was little. Um... My sister couldn't stand the way that I would always wear unmatching socks, um, stripes with flowers, an orange shirt, a red like with red pants, perfect combo. 
And I did it all on purpose too. It was like my way to be free. Because I, I, I am, I do have that rigidity, like that, that natural follow the rules mentality. But I also have this like, when I can, when it's okay to like push boundaries, I like to push them. And anything someone said you can't do, just like, just because they would say like, oh, you can't do that. Like, but it was harmless. It's not really a rule. It's not really like gonna hurt anybody. I always did that thing, whatever that was. I wanted to do it because I couldn't stand rigidity. I can't stand it. I can't stand boxes. They just, I can't stand it. And I believe that God designed me that way. And I believe that God designs all of us in different ways to teach each other different things. Things about life and about who God is. I believe that God wants me to teach you to be free. I believe that God wants me to teach people how to see what I see. My way is not the way, right? My way is just one part of the prism of all of who God is. My mission in life is to set captives free. Captives of religion, captives of rigidity, captives of insecurity, captives of self-hatred, captives of fear, captives of the box. If Christianity is sucking out your personality, eating away at who you are, it isn't Jesus. If Christianity is leaving you lifeless, empty, caged, and chained, it's not Jesus. If you are heavy and burdened and full of shoulds and have-tos, it's not Jesus. I'm only a pastor because I believe that God has told me to lead people. I'm not a pastor because I am right for the job. <laughs> because I wore the right clothes and I stood in front and I made the right person like me. I'm a pastor because I'm free. And because I want you to be free too. And I refuse to withhold what the Lord wants me to say. Even when it's scary. I refuse to water down freedom. I refuse to water down grace. I refuse to censor myself to make Christians happy, to make self-righteous people happy. This is my Jesus. This is how I know him. This is how I see him. But the law says. The Pharisees often used this phrase, the law says, and Jesus would reply, and? Jesus was clever. Like he would redirect their questions or ask them a question instead. Sometimes he spun it back on them and sometimes he had like a really good zinger, but either way Jesus did it, he almost always left the question unanswered. Almost to say, I know. And? 
Because the law really did say, the law really did say to stone adulterers. It's it. And Jesus didn't directly tell them to disobey the law, but he also didn't stone her. He left it unanswered, and then he kind of didn't let anyone else stone her either in the way that he spoke to them. Do you think that Jesus would have ever stoned anybody? Ever? For anything? Can you imagine the Jesus we read about and know turning around to stone anyone in any sin? And then that kind of makes you wonder. That kind of makes you wonder about grace. That kind of makes you wonder about Jesus. And then there's the grains. The grain story. Jesus and his disciples were technically harvesting grain on the Sabbath, which is breaking the law. And when approached by the Pharisees about breaking the law, Jesus says, well, technically it's okay because they needed it and were hungry. And then to top it off, he says, all that doesn't really matter anyway, because I am Lord of the Sabbath. And God wants mercy, not sacrifices. There's so much here in this passage, okay? There's so much. But first, Jesus puts needs ahead of rules. He puts needs. He says, we were hungry. Like David was hungry, and he broke the law. All right. Then Jesus says, he is Lord of the Sabbath, which is such a bold statement. Such a bold statement to these Pharisees who did not recognize him as God. Jesus is not saying he's Lord of the Sabbath as in the day Saturday. Jesus is saying that he is Lord over the law, like all of it. In this statement, he places himself not condemned under the law, but as judge of the law, as judge over the law. He calls the shots. Rules and laws and regulations are often put into place when there is presence lacking. Rules are put into place when communication is lacking. Remember that. But Jesus was there now. And even more so today in our lives, the Holy Spirit is present. Judging the law. Not us. Judging the law. Lord over it. Jesus is called our advocate. Not the advocate for the law. He's our advocate. Not the representative of the law. The judge of the law. And the Lord over it. Remember. Condemnation comes from the law and never from the Holy Spirit. And this is why we sing, I just want you. I just want you. Nothing else will do. I just want you. God desires mercy, not sacrifices. God desires mercy. God desires mercy. And it's this person, this Jesus of mercy that we have fallen in love with. 
That is the Jesus we worship. It is not a Jesus of law or a God of control, a rigid religious trinity. No, we have fallen in love with Jesus of mercy because something in us knows what love is. Something in us recognizes holy when we see it. We know holy because the Holy Spirit in us recognizes holy. I was watching some Christian YouTube channel and it was horrible. I won't say who because I don't remember, but sometimes I just click through these things like junk TV just to be like, oh, why, why would you? And then just move on. But this man was saying, we have to have biblical obedience no matter what. And even if something doesn't make sense, even if something really doesn't seem like, you know, just, it's just so hard and it just doesn't really make sense, that if the Bible says it, we have to obey it. We just obey. Like even if the Bible said we had to drink our urine, then we just do it because God knows best. I'm not kidding you. That's what he said. I'm not kidding you. I didn't make that up. That is crazy. And it's not right. This blind obedience is called being in a cult. And that is not what we are. This is not okay. We don't obey God just because the Bible says so. We don't follow rules just for the sake of rules. We don't do what our pastor says just because they're the pastor. We don't blindly follow. We do not blindly follow to the point where God-given reasoning, our God-given reasoning mind says, that's weird. That doesn't quite make sense. But we just blindly do it because a book we don't really understand says so. No. That is how rigid religions and cults are born. No. We have the ability to discern, to reason, and these are God-given super high-tech features that we possess. We also have not a book of law, but a person called Jesus. We have this person, Jesus, and the person in us recognizes him as good and holy and this is why we give our lives this is why we submit our everything not because of rules or blind obedience but because of evident love out of evidence and experience and overwhelming captivation we are won over we are won over go back to when you first met Jesus, when you were first overcome, if you ever have been, this is how, this is how, this is how you were caught in love. This is how you will continue to walk in love. It will never be because of the law. It will never be for pleasing others or simply to just do the right things. It will not be because a rule says so or a book 
gives you a guideline or a command, but it will be because of an unparalleled connection to this Lord of mercy. When I was a kid, I was convinced that I would be the purest person in the world. Religion taught me to pursue holiness and purity, and my love for Jesus convinced me that I would do anything for him. And I decided to be the purest person and never disappoint Jesus. And I grew up and I realized that was really difficult. And by the time I got married, I wasn't a virgin, and I felt slightly like a fraud. But I wore my white dress, and I made my husband wear white, because I was convinced that our purity came from Jesus alone and nothing else mattered. Religion taught me that God wanted my purity like currency. But love taught me that God was seeking my heart. My heart. And that purity was simply a heart that sought after Him. And I had that. I had that already. I've had that since I was a kid. I never went away. In every dark moment of my journey up until now, I have never been stoned by Jesus. I have never been scolded by Jesus. Are you a person of mercy or a person of the law. When you think of justice, do you think of mercy? Or do you think of law and order? This isn't a perfect world. We have to have some form of regulations, order, because not everyone has our best intentions in mind. But when we consider politics today, when we consider the laws of our land, I believe that we are to take the approach and the example of Jesus and approach it in a similar way. When considering what the law says, consider this. Is it just? Is it merciful? Is it right? Is it redemptive? Is it life-giving? Is it honoring? Sometimes laws need to be changed. There are so many horrific things happening that should never be permitted. Humanity first. Humanity first. Citizens second. Humanity first. Sexual orientation, gender identity, irrelevant. Humanity first, political party second. The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the laws are for our good, not for us to serve and die to. They are for our benefit, not to put us in chains. This is not just political, this is spiritual. You are so much freer than you can ever imagine. 
You are so much freer than you can even understand. You are freer than any pastor wants to tell you because they're scared. They're scared that you will make a mistake, but I don't care. I'm gonna tell you, you are free. Jesus has set you free. Jesus has set you free from obligation, from chains to the law. I don't wanna tell you how to live or what to do. I don't, I don't have any desire to rein you in or control you and convince you of something and make you good. I don't because I believe with my entire being that Jesus has found you. I believe Jesus has already found you. I am fully convinced that his presence, his presence is all that you need. It's all that you need. Shame off you. Shame off you. Mercy over you. Love surround you. There are no stones here. Who is condemning you? Where are your accusers? Who is condemning you? Jesus says, no one. No one. His presence is all that we need. Lord God, I pray that you would come now in this moment. We need your presence. We need a relationship. We need a communication between you and me because without that, I have nothing. Rules are nothing. Laws are nothing. Expectations are nothing. Your presence is all that I need. Your presence in this moment, in this situation right in front of me, in this person, in this time, in this moment, your presence here is all that I need. And I don't need to say, the law says. I need to say, what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love, for your mercy and for your grace. I pray now that in this time of political hostility, that we would be people of mercy, that we would look at the law and politics through the eyes of mercy. And we would always leave room for more mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.